The question that we're looking at today and just touching on is what is it supposed to look like being part of church? Because a lot of people come, and if you're honest, maybe some of you have come in because you've had a hard time or you're escaping something or you're desperate for peace or solace or something and you come looking for that stuff and it's totally the right thing to come looking for. And is that what it is? A safe place for us to retreat while the world burns? Is Is that what we're doing here? And how can this experience the church be the fourth chapter of those great amazing themes in the bible that start with chapter one the image of god human beings made to look like god to be like god to be god on the earth to image him that's a huge part of the themes of the bible the second one is the covenant people which is what does it look like for people to walk in friendship with god belonging to him to be his people and the the people of Israel were the covenant people that were totally bound to God and they had leaders who would take them into the promised land help them to do battle against their enemies but they also had these prophets and priests who would teach them to hear from God and then how to put what they were hearing into practice the priests would enable people to stay close to God to deal with their sin, to worship authentically, to connect to God, and the prophets would be hearing. And then the third act or chapter in this great story is Jesus, the culmination of human history, the pinnacle. Jesus shows us what it is to be a to, to, to know God. Jesus shows us what God is really like, but he also shows us what we are really like. This is the pinnacle of the Bible. What is the next chapter? Because the last chapter is the end of everything, the culmination of human history where God puts everything right. So what is it between Jesus and everything being great and amazing and wonderful and restored? It's the church. It's this funny experience (laughs) of coming here and sitting on seats and singing songs and puzzling over what it is to follow God. This is the fourth great act in the huge history that will be resolved completely by Jesus at the end of all time. Do you feel like you're part of that? Act four. What an amazing idea, but how puzzling. C.T. Studd, who is a famous, um, a very famous, most outstanding cricketer, in the 18th century, in the 1800s, 19th century. Um, and he, was, he went to Eton. He was a well, sort of from a well-to-do family. And he became a Christian. And when he became a Christian, he, he just felt like he had, he had met Jesus and nothing else seemed worth anything. He, had, he gave away all his money, his inheritance. He just gave it away. And he had this little phrase, can't be damned. Can't be damned with it. And it was a known phrase around him. I'm just not interested in all of these things. And he eventually became a very well-known missionary to China and to Africa. But he said this about church. Some want to live within the sound of a church or a chapel bell. Safe. But I want to run 
a rescue shop within a yard of hell. And I want to ask you today, as we look at the birth of the church and the calling of the church, is that what you're looking for? What are you looking for? There's safety and there is mercy and grace for us when we are desperately in need for a salve and a cure for our souls. But this is also something else. It's not just a place of retreat. It is a rescue shop within a yard of hell. And we're just going to have a look at now some teaching of Jesus that shows exactly that. So we're in um, Matthew 16, and we're going to read some verses from Matthew 16, which is what most theologians say, the kind of very birth of the church, the moment when the church springs into life. Lots of other things happen, but this is the beginning, so let's read it. So when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets, referring back to that covenant time when the prophets and the priests were the big deal. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for it was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you're Peter. There's a name change at this moment. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It's a really familiar passage. It's an amazing, evocative passage. And the interesting thing is context is so often really helpful to understand. So one context with this passage is that they're in Caesarea Philippi. So above them looms a huge mountain called Mount Hermon. And Mount Hermon was famous. It's the scene of many battles. It's the place where the Jews had battled their enemies and had many sort of desperate and dark fights. So it would have meant something to them. This is a massive battleground. It's looming up above them. But also, it's a place of um, pagan worship that would have been really strongly known. So um, the, the, the pagan gods of Baal and Pan and Zeus were all worshipped. There were shrines everywhere. And this place was a little out of Jerusalem and out of the places where Jesus often would go traveling. It was why did he go there? That would have been a question. And why did he say that there? Why the birth of the church there in that particular place? So the second context is that just before Jesus gives this commission to Peter, what happens? Just before and just after is really important in Scripture. So just before the Pharisees the religious leaders have come to Jesus and said, give us a sign to prove who you are, because they're baiting him. 
They don't really want to know who he is. They want to prove he's not anyone special because they're jealous of the increasing hold that Jesus has on their hearts. But they, and they want to be the ones in control. They are the religious leaders, and it's their job to meet out punishments and grace. So that's the first bit of the context. Immediately after this is another really fascinating passage. It is when... Um, Jesus starts to tell them for the first time, I am going to be crucified. I'm going to be put to death at the hands of the religious leaders and I'm going to die. And it's that time when Peter says, no, no, you can't die. And Jesus turns to him and says this really stern thing, get behind me, Satan. You haven't got the things of God in mind, but the things of man. So that's the context, this baiting by the religious leaders. Are you really anything? And then Peter, Simon Peter, saying, I don't want you to die. And Jesus, right in the middle of this thing, says, who do you think I am? And when Peter says, I know who you are, you're the son of God, Jesus says, this has been revealed to you by your father in heaven. And on this rock, and remember the rock that is looming over them, They are really right in the middle of it, a place that would not have felt very clean and religious and safe. On this rock, Peter, your confession, I'm going to build my church. So the first thing I want to say is that the church, whatever else it is, is always going towards the cross. Now, we would like to, we we often pivot around two poles. The first one is, God needs appeasing because I'm not a very good person, I'm not a very good Christian, and he's a little bit disappointed in me, and so I need to be religious. And the Pharisees were really good at playing on the fears of the people that they were out of favor with God and out of sync with his mercy. And we still got that. You've got that. I certainly have. That sense of, am I okay with you, God? Are you irritated with me? Are you frustrated? Have I let you down in some way? Am I any good at this? And the church has sort of lived off this fear over the years that we're not good enough for God. It's it's kind of a human condition. There's something wrong with us. But the other pole that we also pivot around a little bit is I don't want it to be hard. I I just want to escape the death. I I don't want to lay down my life. I don't want Jesus to die because it's really uncomfortable. And who of us doesn't feel like that? I just don't want it to be hard or uncomfortable. And I wish Christianity wasn't. And I don't want to be inspired by Harolan Popov living, living out his life in solitary confinement. I don't like that version of Christianity. And here is the church parked and began began its origin is right there between the human condition the things that we really pivot around our fear that we're not good enough and our desire to escape and Jesus says you're the community of the cross and I am going to die and that is where we're going and I'm inviting you to come with me so my question to all of us really is are we are we living with that sense of the cross in our lives? Are we living with the fact that Jesus said it is ahead of us and that there is going to come a time when you'll have to lay down your life? And in fact, normal Christianity is not safe. Sometimes it is dangerous. 
and your own life might actually be called into question. The interesting thing is that as the early church started to talk about this and preach and try and teach about what it was to be people of the cross, Paul said these words. He kind of expressed it in this way. He said, when you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God, precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ and there's this sense in which these writers were trying to portray the fact that this old priesthood of separation and you know guilt and accusation is being replaced by the church the priesthood of all believers as they began to call it so that is what you are you're a priest who is heading towards the cross, who understands what the cross, the death of Jesus and his sacrifice for you has done. And your job and my job as the church is to be a priest to the world. So do you feel like you're a priest? Someone who is able to do what the priests of old would do, hear from God, work with the prophets to hear from God and to translate this otherworldliness into something real and definite here on earth to lead others into authentic connections with God to show people how to be healed how to be forgiven that's what we're doing that's what the church is the priesthood and I don't know what that looks like for you but this little phrase um has come through my sort of youth and childhood and um into adulthood this idea of being on duty. Now, I don't know what you think about that, but my mum was a nurse, and sometimes she'd say, I'm on duty tonight. And I'd know what she was going to do was go to hospital and be on duty, doing the curing and the caring and stuff like that. A few years ago, I went to see Life of Pi in the cinema. And Life of Pi is an interesting film. It's quite a sort of... um, Uh, a kind of unusual film and some people at the time were going to the cinema to take and taking drugs to go and watch the film and have a bit of a trip and on this particular night I didn't know that by the way uh, we went and on the other side of the cinema right on the far side I heard as this film was starting this commotion and I looked across and I saw two people who were um, like the ushers and they were pulling dragging this woman out Um, because she was kicking and sort of screaming. And I sat there, and to be honest, I'm the sort of person who, in the cinema, I don't really want to be disturbed and don't talk to me or anything like that. And I was just head down. And then just this little phrase came into my mind, just from nowhere, you're on duty. And um, I just felt in that moment a kind of awareness that God was speaking. And slightly reluctantly... (laughs) I got up out of my seat and I went to the back and I went out into the foyer of the cinema and there was this girl sitting, sort of writhing on the floor and I saw that she had foam around her mouth. And the funny thing was, or the interesting thing was, that at the time, I live in a community house and occasionally we have people in recovery from drug addiction living with us. And at the time we had somebody who had been taking ketamine and she had told me that when you take ketamine, the drug, you foam around the mouth. And I saw it. 
and I knew that was what was going on. And I just went up to her and the two poor ushers were just completely didn't know what to do. And I went and sat down by her and I just said, are you okay? And we ended up talking and I said, have you taken ketamine? And she, yes. And I talked to her for about half an hour and just, I prayed with her, just talked to her, calmed her down, got her friend to come and get her and she was totally fine. And we had a little conversation afterwards. But the thing, the point I'm making is that I just felt like God was saying, you know, when you're out and about in the world, you're on duty. So do you feel like you're on duty? Do you feel like God is calling you into any particular area of life where you're like a priest who can bring the hope and the peace of God wherever you are? Because, you know, we do a lot of prayer ministry in this church and it's brilliant. We have our healing course and it's great. And if you're exploring faith, those things are really good to get on board with. But out in the world, wherever you are, in your family life, in your your friendships at your workplace, there's a great need for the priests who are on duty, who will carry the speaking voice of God and the healing of God and his hope and his wisdom. And that's something for us to step up to. The other thing is that the church is stronger than the darkness. So if we want to know what the church looks like, it's stronger than the darkness. And the darkness is profound in our world. And it was in that moment when Jesus was talking in the shadow of Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon was called by the locals the gates of hell. And the reason why there's a picture here. The reason why is because of these holes up in the mountainside. They were believed to be the place where the gods lived. And people would occasionally, in history, they'd thrown prisoners in there to see if they lived or died. And if they died, it was because they were guilty. And if they lived, the gods had given them back. They would throw goats in there. It was, they would have, water would come flowing out of it because the River Jordan at different times would flow out of these holes. So they thought, this is where the life is, the fertility. And often the water would be red with blood because of all the sacrifices that were thrown in this desperate attempt to get the gates of hell to, you know, release their prisoners and to, to relent. And Jesus is saying, church, this is your birth, where the gates of hell are looming over you, things that you're terrified of, utterly terrified of. The, the church is founded right there, in the shadow of the gates of hell. And Jesus says, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell are going to be stormed by the church, which is the answer to the darkness in the world. That's what it's supposed to look like. You and I and all of us outside this building storming the gates of hell. What does that look like in your life? It definitely means dealing with your own stuff. <laughs> but it also means helping people to see that there is a healer, someone who can bring them freedom. And it means challenging the darkness in the world and injustice and corruption. It means everything because the church, this is the chapter of the church. This is what we're here for. 
And this is the calling on everyone's life that trumps every other calling, is to be the priest, to be a healer, to be someone who is God's representative, who is not afraid of the darkness and can tell the world there's an answer. The gates of hell are not going to win. How much does our world need to know that the darkness will not cover this earth and win? And your job and my job, wherever we are, is to be that priesthood. And finally, the church is a group of chosen, called people. It's not just a kind of group of people who found their way in on the run from the world. You've been called into this. It's something that is corporate. It's not something, some lone journey that you're going on on your own. There's something about gathering as called people that allows for God to manifest himself differently in our world, which is why sometimes in worship there's this sense of God breaking through. The singing in tongues or just a moment that was led by Jane so beautifully then, there's this moment, this otherworldliness. There's something that the church can do together that you cannot do on your own. But you're a called person. In fact, the word for church in the New Testament is ecclesia. And it comes from two words, ek and kale. Ek means out. Kale means called. So when you come to church, you're not coming to a building to have a sit down and have a nice comforting message. You're coming to called outness out into the world to be equipped to do some damage. And now, look at these two passages, and I'm finishing now. I just want you to look at these two passages, and I want you to contrast the sense and the kind of the, the feeling of these two passages. The first one is Paul summing up something of what it means to be the church, and it's beautiful. Here we go. You are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. This is the church Paul is describing. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. And once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is what it is. This is what we've come to. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, the people of God. You've received mercy and you know it. Now, here's another description of the church. This is in Acts 17, in a city where the church has been causing some trouble. And this is a, a, a local official speaking. These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And they are defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, the one called Jesus. And when they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. So that is the calling of the church, is to throw into turmoil, to disrupt the darkness, and to bring God's holy order and healing powerfully. And you, my friend and me, we are called into being that holy order that brings turmoil and disruption to the gates of hell. So that's a high calling. That is why chapter 4 fits with the others. 
Jesus, the pinnacle of humanity, the church is what it's meant to look like in the in-between times until God brings everything into perfect completion and heals everything and restores everything. You're it. The ones to bring holy disruption. So what is God calling out of you in this season? To what part are you being called to play in church in this time in history? Because you're a called person. So I'm, I'm going to end there, actually, and leave that hanging because it's for you to discover and for us to all help one another to do that. But I am going to pray and then um, get Jane up and we'll go back into worship because it's, it's a good time to just say to God, okay, what are you saying to me? You know, have I got it that I don't have to appease you and that, but I do have to go to the cross with you? My life is actually to be laid down, and that's part of my calling. Have I understood that the darkness will not win in my life, in the life of the people around me? Maybe today God's really calling you to be a person of hope that says, no, the darkness won't win. And have I understood my calling as a follower of Jesus, is to not be just here pursuing my calling, but out there where the world desperately needs to know that God's got it. So let's pray together and then we'll go into worship. And if you'd like prayer during the worship for any of the things that I've talked about or any other things, if you want prayer for healing or for someone to um, just pray a blessing or for strength or whatever you are going through, that is all totally appropriate. If you feel like, I don't know God, but I would love to know more, then also just come. Come and find a few of us over there. Let's pray together, shall we? Father God, I thank you that there is hope, far more hope than we know that you are on the throne and that you will bring all of human history to a glorious and beautiful close one day. But in the meantime, in this time, we pray help us to hear your voice, to be the priests who hear your voice and take up our priestly duty in the world to connect people to God and to show them the way of salvation and to show them how to be healed and have their sins forgiven. So God help us to hear your voice and to know what you're calling us to. We invite you, Spirit of God, as we worship to speak. Come Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.